Hello, and welcome to the 8th Annual Bevy Awards, presented by the Bird's Eye View Podcast. With appearances by... Utah Street Report. Roar from 34. On the Verge. Give that fan a podcast. Full Count Chaos. The Baseball Widows. Exit 52. The I Just Like the Duck podcast. Nate hit the foul pole. And now, here are your hosts, Jake English and Scott Magnus. Thank you, Jovial J, and welcome, one and all, to the 2020 Bevy Awards, The Ocho. Gotta tell you, this is a weird feeling. The Bevies are usually a mid-season award show, which means that it's usually a diversion from the sports media dead zone that surrounds the MLB All-Star Game. We were supposed to have more season to look forward to. We were supposed to have something more immediate to hope for. But in many ways... This strange postseason award show means that we don't have to, you know, go on recent disappointments, leaving a bad taste in our mouths. No, we can use this opportunity to be more objective, to look dispassionately at this team and apply a fair and balanced critique of our Baltimore Orioles. Nah, that's not really our style. That's right. In a weird way, the 2020 season, though it took place while the world was seemingly falling apart around us, leaves us with more reason to hope than a lot of recent seasons. Yeah, it's weird because the Orioles the Orioles are not good, uh, which we're used to, but they're also not listless. It's, it's getting easier to draw a line between this team and the next winning Orioles team. You know, that's probably also a, a good segue to everyone's least favorite feature of the Bevies, and that is the big musical numbers in the intro. Now that the season is over, all eyes are turning from the play onto the field to the work that Michael Elias and team are doing to make that play on the field that much better. Orioles baseball could have won a few more. Losses piling up, hard to ignore. He was a young executive who had helped the Astros. Now out on his own, try to rebuild the O's. Trying to rebuild the O's. Out on the field, you could see they weren't ready. Pitching a mess and the defense unsteady. Going through the season just knowing they'd lose. Working on the right moves Trying to make some first round drafting news Working on the right moves At the trade deadline mm-hmm. At any other time We weren't a good club, oh no, far from it. We weren't searching for some first place finish. 
We're just young and helpless and cheap Plays from the scrap heap So we deal away every chance we could Moving on road back, anything half good Some moves work, some didn't, but no one cared to the cupboard being there working on the right moves trying to lose those last place ball club blues working on the right moves mm-hmm. at the trade deadline mm-hmm. sweet trade deadline trade deadline Started humming a song about some magic Ain't it funny to see the right moves We're just so used to seeing this team lose Strange to see the right moves With a new season closing in Well, the 8th Annual Bevy Awards are off to our customary rough start, but we'd have it no other way. Don't worry, dear listeners. In addition to stumbling out of the gates, you can also look forward to us ending the show on a 4 and 32 skid. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. Greetings, Bevy listeners. My name is Derek Arnold. My website is utahstreetreport.com, and my Bevy category is Best Hair. The 2020 O's could have been known as the Flows for all the wonderful locks that adorn this club. The nominees for 2020 Best Hair Bevy are Hunter, please never get a haircut, Harvey. Reflow Ruiz, Asher Flojikowski, and Dean, I couldn't think of a punny hair nickname, Kramer. And the winner 
as voted on by Utah Street Report readers, with 54% of the vote. Hunter Harvey. Congratulations, Hunter Harvey, on your 2020 Best Hair Bevy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt Pine and Zach Goodman of Nate Hit the Foul Pole. Hey guys, this is Zach and Matt from the Nate Hit the Foul Pole podcast. We want to thank Bird's Eye View for having us present this esteemed award. This year's award is the player that most hated playing for the Orioles past and present. The nominees are Dexter Fowler, Chris Davis, and Aubrey Huff. I nominate Fowler because the Orioles had a deal in place and he went to the Cubs for less money. I also nominate Christopher Davis for this award. Chris has had, shall we say, some lackluster past couple of years, and I'm sure he would much rather be sitting on his Texas ranch hucking into a spittoon. I nominate Aubrey Huff because in 2008 he called Baltimore a horseshit town and he said he hated playing here. Screw that guy. And the winner is... Aubrey Huff. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Zach Spedden, Nick Stevens, and Bob Phelan of On the Verge. Welcome to On the Verge. We are first-time presenters at the Bevies, and we are here to present the first annual Keith Law, This Orioles Prospect Isn't So Bad Award. Uh, joining me, Zach Spedden, are my On the Verge co-host, Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan. Uh, Bob, are you as excited as I am to be presenting this award for the very first time? Absolutely. Uh, not only am I a fan of Bird's Eye View, their podcast, but any chance I can get to tell Keith Law he's wrong, I'm going to take that opportunity. Nick, uh, how are you feeling about this? Yeah, I echo that. Thank you to the Bird's Eye View guys. Uh, big fan of this podcast, and uh, we're glad to be here and glad to present this award to the rest of Birdland. Yeah, we're... Uh... Glad here at Baltimore Sports and Life Radio to have an opportunity to appear on the bevies. So this award pretty much is what it sounds like. We're just going to go back and uh, honor a prospect that came through this year, even if Keith Law, who ranked the Orioles 24th in his preseason farm system rankings, didn't sound all that high on the player at the start of the year. We have three nominees, uh, three very competitive nominees for this award. And I'm going to start off by letting Nick read the first. Yeah, so our first nominee is, of course, Ryan Mountcastle. Ryan Mountcastle hit 333 with five home runs and 23 RBIs in his first 35 games as an Oriole. He played an adequate defense in left field, surprised us all with some speed on the bases, ranked 79th percentile in sprint speed, and finished among the team leaders with a 0.7 wins above replacement. For someone who doesn't walk very much, Mountcastle drew a walk in 8% of his at-bats this season. Not bad for a prospect who Keith Law believes will be, quote, exploited by big league pitchers due to his aggressive and jumpy approach at the plate. And our next, nom our next nominee is Keegan Aiken. Bob, take it away. Yeah, so Aiken led all of Orioles pitchers with the .8 win above replacement in 2020. This was after making his MLB debut a few weeks into the season and sitting unused in a bullpen for about another week. Thanks, Brandon Hyde. The former Western Michigan Bronco went 1-2 and two with a 4.56 ERA and a 1.44 whip, striking out more than 30% of hitters he faced, which led all of the Orioles' starting pitchers. Despite Keith Law saying Aiken doesn't have a put-away pitch, Aiken's changeup produced a 36% whiff rate and a put-away percentage of 30%, which is pretty decent. 
His best outing of the year came against Atlanta, in which he pitched five shutout innings, striking out nine and walking just one. Eat that, Keith. And our third and final nominee is Dean Kramer. Kramer made his fourth starts this season, going one and one with a 4.82 ERA, but a 2.7 FI, 2.76 FIP, and 22 strikeouts in 18 and two-thirds innings. He did not allow a single home run and made his first career two career starts against the New York Yankees in the same week. In those two starts, Kramer gave up just two earned runs in 11 innings, striking out 14 New York hitters, each one more pleasant to watch than the previous. Ball doesn't believe Kramer will be a starting pitcher long term, but he certainly made a big impact in his short sample, giving Orioles fans a bit more optimism about his future as a starting pitcher in Baltimore. We've now presented the nominees. So get ready because our winner is Ryan Mountcastle. Mountcastle uh, takes the first annual Keith Law. This Orioles prospect isn't so bad award. Uh, Nick, how do you feel for Mountcastle? Do you think this is better than getting a rookie of the year vote? Obviously, this is greater than a rookie of the year vote. But so congratulations to Ryan Mountcastle. He had a great first year and hopefully he does get that rookie of the year award next year. Yep. I mean, Aiken and Kramer had great years, but it had to be Mountcastle. The, the kid just came out on fire and was one of the best Orioles players, even though he only played about half the season. And he was certainly far from jumpy this season, uh, leaving us optimistic going forward about uh, his future with the Orioles. So for Bob and Nick, this has been Zach Spedden. Be sure to check us out at Baltimore Sports and Life Radio Network on The Birds. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jake English of the Bird's Eye View podcast. 2020 has been a doozy. Look at it this way. We've lost both halves of SNL's amazing Jeopardy spoof. There was a Russian oil spill that dumped 20,000 tons of oil into a river system in the Arctic Circle. There was a terrible loss of life and a ma- massive explosion in Beirut. Gigi Bryant, her dad, and several other people died in a helicopter crash. Murder hornets arrived in the United States. Armenia and Azerbaijan got into armed conflict. Fires raged across the western United States, and an extinction-level fire took place in Australia. All terrible. Am I missing anything? Yeah, if you are hoping to avoid using the words COVID, Donald Trump, systemic racism, RBG, or election, then you're good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that stuff sucked, too. Hey, why didn't that stuff get more press coverage? Anyway... 2020 has been rough, and Major League Baseball and Orioles baseball, really, were not immune to the drama. I mean, how terrible is it that Anthony Santander cements himself as the most valuable Oriole all while getting hurt midseason? Or the fact that standout player and recognized excellent human Trey Mancini was diagnosed with cancer? Seriously, 2020, stop it. But it made us wonder... What misfortunes from the Orioles' past would best fit into the 2020 narrative? I mean, when we look back, what makes us say, ugh, that is so 2020? And so the nominees for the That's So 2020 award are as follows. Brian Roberts stays with his hometown team, signing an extension and giving up the opportunities that would have been presented to him as the preeminent middle infielder on the market, only to derail the remainder of his career by hitting himself in the head with a baseball bat. Next nominee, the Orioles set a new standard for futility by losing the first 21 games in the 1988 season. 
The terrible losing streak would have been notable in the middle of the campaign, which ended 54 and 107. But the fact that it took place at the beginning put the losing streak in sharp focus. The first six games cost manager Cal Ripken Sr. his job. Our next nominee, the baseball gods, begin punishing the Orioles in what would be 15 years of misery. A 12-year-old Yankees fan, Jeffrey Mayer, reached over the right field wall at Yankee Stadium during Game 1 of the 1997 ALCS and stole away a home run, which led the Yankees to take the series in five games. And, hmm, that's weird. There's a smudge on the card. I can't read that. Scott, can you make anything of this? Yeah, I definitely can. So this last one is, we as a community gather together to celebrate an Orioles championship at home in 1979. We gather our family, our friends, and we sit together saying to ourselves, hey, we just need one game out of these two. What's the worst that can happen? And turns out the Orioles end up losing both games at home in 1979 and a slow walk back into the isolation of losing Orioles baseball begins once again. All right. All terrible moments. But what, we ask, makes us say, Ugh, that is so 2020. And the winner is Brian Roberts braining himself with a baseball bat after signing a major extension with the hometown team. Congratulations, Brian Roberts. That was so 2020. And now join Jake and Scott in the past, the present, and the future. Critics of the game have been saying that baseball has been dying since it was invented. The truth is that baseball is a living, breathing animal, which changes to meet culture and technology. So let's take a look at some facets of baseball and, and the Orioles and determine whether they represent the present, the past, or the future. So let's, let's start, Scotty, by looking at the current roster. And when I say current, I mean the roster as it was in 2020, and I want to take a look first at what I'm calling the past. And nothing represents the past of Orioles roster construction to me than Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb is a, is a clear example of the past because, I mean, take a look at it. He was an expensive free agent pitcher, and he didn't work out. I, I really associate that shot in the dark, oh God, please let this work move with the Duquette era and the not great part of it. This is a hearkening back to uh, 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 an Baldo Jimenez type move. Alex Cobb hopefully will be replaced by, you know, other approaches. But as far as this roster is concerned, I'm really hoping that Alex Cobb and moves like that are going to be in the rearview mirror. That's the past. So the present would be someone like Hanser Alberto, um, you know, had... You know, got him on the cheap, good enough for now, but not really part of the future, as it were. You know, I think this could go to an honorable mention of Renato Nunez, who, again, led the team with home runs in the 2020 season. But now there are questions whether or not he actually has a role going forward with the 2021 Orioles. So these are the folks that are, you know, filling in as they were, but probably not going to be part of a playoff team in the near future for the Baltimore Orioles. Okay, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think if you look at the future... Hopefully, a player like John Means is, as an example of the Orioles, uh, you know, ghost of, of Christmas future. 
this proves that the Orioles can develop, you know, major league talent even outside of their can't miss draft spots, right? In the 11th round, we really hope that John Means shows that they can hit even when it's not a sure thing. It doesn't have to be an all-star. It doesn't have to be a front end of the rotation guy. But if John Means can develop into a solid pitcher, I hope that is the future of Orioles baseball. And again, he looked like death earlier this season, so I'm glad that he was able to resurrect his career. That's right. That's right. Okay, let's let's move on from the roster. Let's talk rule changes because 2020 had a lot of rule changes. 21, we'll have a couple more. And I think that as baseball moves forward, there will be still more rule changes to go. So let's take a look at the rule changes that took place in 2020. What would you look at as a rule of the past? Yeah, sure. So I think a rule from the past is uh, the DH. I mean, we we saw the DH, um, you know, be scuttled into the shadows this year, and I, I don't think we missed anything. I think we saw still saw really good, compelling baseball. We didn't see pitchers bat. I think it's only a matter of time uh, before the players' union and MLB owners come to an agreement that the DH should be present in both leagues um, going forward. Now, I I um I'm fine with the universal DH doesn't, doesn't really bother me. I'm also fine with the national league, you know, doing their thing. That never didn't really bother me, but I wonder, are there any other rules like the DH where people have an emotional attachment to the way the game was played or the way the game is played now that, you know, may go. Is there anything else that represents the future? I, I think the DH, you're right, is the clearest example. But I think I, I think another one bias... from the past would be the requirement in the 1970s to wear stirrups on all uniforms. <laughs> okay, okay. Trying to get me with hosiery. That's, that's uh, I, I like where you're going. I, I think that you and I, you know, don't appreciate how big the DH deal is because we root for an American League team. Uh, but as rule changes get brought up, I, I'm going to try to check myself and think, you know, am I resisting this because, you know, it's a bad idea or am I resisting this because, you know, this is my version of the DH. So just something to keep an eye on. Jake, something I, I do really on. appreciate that. In, in this divided country that we're part of, um, it, it's really good to see someone that, you know, is on your side of the fence. Um, reach out to the other side and and understand their their incorrect opinions and incorrect views. So I appreciate that open mindedness on your end. <laughs> thanks, thanks for bringing us together on that one. All right, let's take a look at the present. I hope that the very present, this this unique moment of rule change history, is the ghost runner. I I really do hope, and I think that this is a, a temporary measure. I hope that we don't see it uh, once the new CBA is is signed. Uh, I really, uh, you know, it does impact the game in a uh, in a stark way, and I just don't like it. And it's it's not even it's not even that I, I don't I don't like it because it's different. I, I think my beef with it is that it uh, it makes it so that the game can be won or lost in a way that that really, you know, the, the defense didn't screw up that bad. The pitcher didn't screw up that bad. 
uh, and and the whole game can be can be lost because of it. Yeah, I think this can be classified into what I call uh, the Henry English rule, um, which is if you present the rule to Henry English uh, and he says, "Really, that's how they're going to play? That's stupid." Then it's probably not a good baseball rule. Uh, I think that my son should be in charge of rule changes because I think the game would be hilarious. What about the future? Scotty, what rule changes can we look for that, that represent the future of where baseball is headed? Yeah, so I think we saw this year batter minimums for relievers. Um, you know, I think we'll see this rule stay. Um, and I think it's one of the efforts that baseball is going to continue to undertake to address its pace of play issues, even though... I, I don't think it made a significant difference. I think it's here to stay because, in, in essence, it was a small tweak to the game that didn't cause much uproar. So I, I think that both those points are are well stated. You know, I look at um, the, the batter minimums for pitchers kind of the way I look at social media updates. Everybody whines for like three or four days once one of the social media platforms makes a, a UI or, or a... a cosmetic change. And then we all forget what it looked like before. And I think that the batter minimum will be a lot like that. I think that it, it had such minimal impact on the game that we won't even remember what it was like before the rule took place. Um, I, I do wonder though, what impact, if any, it had on pace of play. I would really like to see some, some numbers. I, I, I wonder if they're there. Um, not only taking a look at, you know, what games were like as far as length was concerned, but how often, you know, pitching changes, uh, were made in a game and, you know, how many, uh, you know, how many pitching changes are, are, are standard for games and, and whether that number goes down. I don't know. I, I don't think that it's really going to do much to speed up the game. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So let me let me round us out here because uh, I think I understand where we're coming now from the past, present, and futures. Uh, so this goes to the Orioles franchise because, again, this is an Orioles podcast. We need to focus on it. So the past, I think we've got to focus on Peter Angelos now, uh, again, stepping away from the team, um, you know, buying the team um, outright in, in the early 90s. Um, never was able to claim that championship ring. But in reality, um, cemented and fostered um, a team that could have moved out of the Baltimore area um, and, and really established it with local ownership. So as much as you hate him or love him or whatever it is, you do have to tip the cap to him uh, in terms of you know some of the moves that he has made in terms of the local community um, and the efforts that he has made for Baltimore. And, and then, of course, present, we've got John Angelus now assuming the mantle of um, you know, representative and head for Major League Baseball for for the Orioles and representing all matters um, when it comes to the owners' meeting. So that'll be an interesting direction. Um, John is certainly a little bit more left leaning to than I think his father is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what additional um, changes are made at all the organizational levels to represent this. And then obviously I think we're looking towards the future for the Orioles organization. I think we have to look no further than Nashville, Tennessee, um, where the team is ultimately going to end up in, in the years to come. Scotty, you totally stole my joke. I was going to say that the past present and future of the Baltimore Orioles is past Memorial stadium, present Oriole park, Camden yards and future first horizon park in Nashville. <laughs> oh, you ruined it. You ruined me, Scotty. What can I say? Uh, there's a certain flair to the dramatic. 
<laughs> I I do think it'll be interesting though to see what stamp uh, you know the the next generation of Angelos management uh, for the ownership group will mean for the Orioles. It'll be it'll be interesting. You know, it, it's a it's a new era uh, in itself. We are looking at a, at a game that is evolving. We're looking at a, an entertainment industry that is evolving. And we're looking at a team that desperately needs to bring a winner uh, to the ballpark after losing a generation of fans with the Dark Ages. I, I really think that we are, are fans of a baseball team at what could be an exciting time. Uh, it's just a matter of will that be good excitement or bad excitement. I have total faith that Matt Taylor from Row from 34 uh, will be able to take care of the Orioles in Nashville when they make the immediate move there. <laughs> All right, so that is the past, the present, and the future of baseball, and specifically Orioles baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt Taylor from the Roar from 34. Hi, this is Matt Taylor from RoarFrom34.com. I'm thrilled to be back presenting on the bevies, and I've promised Jake and Scotty that I will treat this like the 2020 season and keep it short. Today I'll be awarding the Overlooked Oriole Award. In 2020, we celebrated the 25-year anniversary of the Iron Man, Cal Ripken Jr., setting the consecutive game streak during a magical night at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But just like they say for Baltimore, there's more than murder here, well, so too it's true that for the Orioles, there's more than Cal Ripken Jr. here. So this award recognizes other anniversaries that we could have, nay, should have celebrated in 2020. And we'll start 10 years ago, the 10-year anniversary of designated hitter Jake Fox hitting his first Orioles home run. That was on July 3rd, 2010, but I didn't need to tell you that, did I? The newly acquired Fox went on to hit seven home runs in parts of two seasons with the Orioles. He hit 10 home runs in spring training in 2011. This was the 15-year anniversary of Napoleon Calzado getting his first major league hit in his pro debut on May 29th, 2005. Fans will remember Calzado finished his career one for five in one season with the Orioles. It's the 20-year anniversary of O's reliever and current bullpen coach, Darren Holmes, striking out Paul O'Neill to go three up, three down in a scoreless seventh inning against his former teammates, the mighty New York Yankees, on July 6, 2000. Holmes, well, he lasted nearly a full month in Baltimore and compiled a 25.07 ERA in five games for the Birds. And finally, 25 years ago, not only was it about the Iron Man, it was also about Jack Voigt. Voigt literally batted a 1,000 for the Orioles that season. He went one for one as a pinch hitter on May 10th, 1995. Six days later, he was traded to the Texas Rangers. So those are our nominees for the Overlooked Oriole Award. And our winner is Jack Voigt. Jack Voigt literally batted a thousand 
the sort of thing that we hear in everyday language about batting a thousand. Well, Voigt did that as an Oriole, but because he had to play with the Iron Man that same season, he got overlooked. <clears throat> well, Jack, you're overlooked no more. And even though they didn't win, neither are Jake, Napoleon, or Darren. And to all of those Foxes, Calzados, Holmes, and Voights out there, I see you. You're not overlooked in my eyes. So hit me up on Twitter, at Roar from 34, and share your favorite Napoleon Calzado memories. Thanks for listening, and congratulations to Jack Voigt on winning the Overlooked Oriole Award. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ryan Blake of Give That Fan a Podcast. What's going on, Oriole fans? This is Ryan Blake. You may know me as Rye Guy Blake. You may know me as Orioles Fan Problems. Perhaps you've heard me on uh, past podcast appearances. Uh, and you may not know me at all, but hopefully pretty soon uh, you'll get to know me as the host of your newest Orioles show, Give That Fan a Podcast, launching uh, this October. We're in the works now. A couple episodes may be posted by the time this is out. But uh, it'll be hosted on Utah Street Report, and I'm very excited for the opportunity. Uh, I'm back for another year. Thank you to Scott and Jake for inviting me back to the Bevies uh, for another season. Uh, this will be, I believe it's my fourth year doing the Bevy Awards, and uh, I like to switch up the awards each year. Uh, this year I'm going to give out the That Seals the Deal Award. If you are connected at all on Orioles social media, I'm sure you've seen the meme by now when Andrew Kashner was traded in the middle of last season for a couple international prospects. Uh, we had a meme, the birth of a meme. That seals the deal. I am no longer an Orioles fan. I've been a fan since 1982 and a season ticket holder since 1996. I officially will not be renewing my plan next season, nor will I watch on TV ever again. Elias is officially the worst GM in history. One heck of a reaction there from our, uh, our friend on Twitter. Um, but we've had a couple more moves this year. Uh, Elias traded away a few guys at the deadline in exchange for some younger prospects. And uh, one of those uh, especially sticks out as kind of similar to that Kashner trade of July of 2019. So our nominees for this year, two relief pitchers, Michael Givens and Miguel Castro, and starter Tommy Malone, who was uh, signed on a minor league deal and brought up to make the opening day start and ended up being uh, one of our better guys. And uh, you may have guessed by now the winner of the That Seals the Deal Award is Mr. Tommy Malone. Elias was able to trade him for uh, not one, but two players to be named later. They have not been announced yet, but we can only imagine they will be uh, perhaps international guys who Elias has had his eye on for a little while now, kind of similar to the Kashner deal. He acquired two 17-year-old um, international prospects. And, uh, you know, that, that meme has, has kind of become a thing where it's, it's not just exclusive to the Orioles anymore. We see it in response to to hockey teams and basketball and football and, and other baseball teams. It's really all over the place. And whether you enjoy it or not, it's, it's something that was started by us on the Orioles interwebs, and uh, it's making its way around. So the 2020 That Seals the Deal Award goes to Tommy Malone for being a very average pitcher who uh, helped us acquire a little bit more minor league depth. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, again, hopefully you'll tune into my uh, my new podcast on Utah Street Report. Give that fan a podcast. Obviously, an homage to former PA announcer Rex Barney. And uh, hope you all enjoy the off season. And we're looking forward to twenty twenty one.
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Eric R. Diddy of the Exit 52 podcast. Hello, everyone. It is Barstool RDT here reporting live from the 2020 Bevies, where I am introducing my award. The award is which Orioles top prospect made me look like an absolute toddler. The nominees are pretty much everyone who's over the height of 5'7", maybe about 5'8". And the winner is, envelope please, wow, Adley Rutschman, number one prospect in the Orioles organization, made me look like an absolute toddler by towering over me when I met him a couple weeks ago. Thank you very much, Adley. Um, the, the honor is all mine. Um, anytime you want to tower over me and make me look like a child, that is, that is okay with me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Carrie Magnus and Sarah English, the Baseball Widows. Baseball Widows here with our 2020 bevy. So this was kind of a strange season. Reflecting back on it, I'm definitely reminded of all the things we missed this year. It's true. A very strange year. I didn't sit down and watch a single game start to finish this year. Normally, I enjoy watching, but this year I just couldn't get into it. Also really miss the family outings to the games and memory making that we did there. Yeah, and our favorite Orioles podcast. I bet you wished you could have missed Bird's Eye View. It's got recorded in your basement every week, and he's not exactly quiet. Not Bird's Eye View, the Baltimoreans. Oh, yeah. I really miss them, too. Haven't listened to a baseball podcast since they stopped recording. They definitely had some really good shows, but most of all, I really miss their nickname episode. Well, in honor of the 2020 Bevies, I think we should present an award for the best nickname for Scott and Jake. Okay. Well, my first nomination for Scott would be the classic Scotty Too Hottie, because that's what everybody calls him. Yeah, same. For Jake, we have the always known Jake from State Farm. He hates it, so of course I had to mention it. But he looks really good in khakis and a polo. <laughs> that he does. <laughs> um, well, the next one I'm going to pick for Scott is one that he actually wishes his nickname would be, and that is Magnum. Yeah, I wish there was a sound effect for an eye roll right now. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I love that. That would be a great nickname. Too bad it never stuck. All right. So Jake's next nickname is Chicken Little. <laughs> he he has a habit in real life of always jumping to the worst case scenario. It can get a little annoying, but it has provided with a lot of I told you so's. So I guess maybe it's not that bad. All right. And the winner is Magnum. Uh, Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps this prestigious award will help the name stick. Let's hope not. I'd like to tell you what's about to happen, but it's 2020, so everything is terrible and nothing matters. Without fans in the stands this year, the Orioles lost they lost a lot of opportunities. No, folks, I'm not talking about, you know, getting some of the young talent some opportunities to play. Um, they lost a ton of revenue. Um, they lost the ability to partner with local organizations for 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 various community activities, but most importantly, they didn't get to do their promotional giveaways. And you know out there as Baltimore Orioles fans that in reality, that's the only reason you're going to the games nowadays is to get those those fun dap caps, those fun Orioles floppy hats, the bobbleheads. 
And again, not even a Hawaiian shirt. What are we going to wear to our finest occasion at the local Crab Shack? Um, and it, it makes us wonder, what would the Orioles have given away in, in 2020? So you know, obviously COVID uh, continues to dominate um, as you know an issue in our society. So could we have seen the Orioles giving out Hawaiian uh, mask um, as an aspect? Um, you know, maybe there was Vuvuzelas being offered out in, in the past, um, but again, that probably wouldn't be the best idea um, to put out there due to you know spread of the of the virus. Jake, what do you think the Orioles could have given away in 2020 that would be like COVID related? Well, I, I think that COVID not only stripped Orioles fans of the opportunity to be at the ballpark, which is terrible enough, but the Orioles had to cancel their "Kiss Me, I'm an Orioles Fan" T-shirt giveaway night. Uh, which I think the club determined sent the wrong message and was not was not responsible from a public health standpoint. I about to say the the camera operator for the kiss cam also being uh, furloughed, <laughs> uh, big loss in my opinion, big loss. Well, you know, also the other thing about promotions is it's not just the giveaways. There are lots of things that the Orioles do to bring people to the ballpark. There is uh, there's Little League Day. Um, you know, there, there is, uh, you know, certain professional days like, like, uh, special deals for teachers, uh, d- d- uh, special deals for college students. I'm thinking world health organization night at the ballpark would have been huge until, you know, yeah. there was that little, little snafu. Look, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but the world health organization never had a place in Orioles baseball. That is fake news. And I'm not going to subscribe to that, okay? Um, when have they ever looked out for our civil liberties within Birdland? All right, Scotty. I think we're getting close to a line here. You know how certain people feel when we make jokes about politics in the sacred space of sports podcasting. So let's get back to something serious and talk about what the Orioles may have given away if they were allowed to have promotions in 2020. I feel like... We need to take a hard left turn here and just say that maybe the Orioles wouldn't would have given away. Well, let's call it eight thousand votes in Georgia. Yeah, you know, you know, back in the day, you would give around all star ballots. So, you know, maybe the Orioles are looking to basically rally the vote. We we saw you know Camden Yards be turned into an early election site. You know, maybe uh, you know you know continuing on that left uh, wing tradition that you know John Angelos is is propagating. Maybe he said. Let's just make sure that um, good old Joe gets elected and, you know, pass this out to the attendees of each of these games. And, you know, it happened to be that, you know, the average attendance for Baltimore Orioles games is right around 8,000. So it works out really well. I, I, I'm starting to see a pattern here, though, because during the Dark Ages, I was so frustrated. You talked about the Orioles, uh, you know, serving as a voting site and, and all-star game ballots. I was so sick of seeing the Yankees and the Red Sox showing up at the All-Star game, and I thought it was ludicrous that one year that Kansas City sent all of their players to the All-Star game. I think I figured it out. I may have been f- filling out my All-Star ballots in Sharpie. Hmm, that makes a lot of sense. Or you, you got to watch out for those uh, you know, you know, hanging chads. All right, what about some of the, uh, what about some of the giveaways that maybe would have pulled at our heartstrings a little bit or or may have just been a little sad in retrospect yeah so i'm thinking along the lines of you know promotions that maybe didn't hit the right time um one off the top of my head would be you know the gary thorne bobblehead um you know which says please drink 
responsibly at the very bottom. But of course, we never got to see Gary Thorne uh, in the booth this year. Uh, and there's rumors that we may not get to see Gary Thorne ever again in Orioles broadcast. You take that back. Listen, you shut your podcasting mouth. The Are truth, you kidding me? The truth me? is the truth. And uh, we'll we'll see what the Orioles can do about it. That would be... God, 2020. You uh, Listen, money, stop. money is tight right now, and the Orioles can't afford that much alcohol in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Something else that, that brings a tear to my eyes. You know, I hate it when I see the giveaway t-shirts... For players that are no longer on the team, I mean, how how embarrassing would it have been to uh, you know to show up, get the T-shirt on on one game, and come back the next day in my brand new David Hess giveaway T-shirt and find out that he had been DFA'd? That would have been sad, and um, you know, people would have looked at that you know, jersey that you would have gotten the next time and be like, I didn't realize Hess gas stations were giving away Orioles jerseys. Wow. That was a long walk, my friend. Listen, it's an even longer ride on a Hess truck. I say, uh, I am. I'm here from the '80s, and I'm here to help. So, uh, and again, <laughs> what we would we have done without a a, a French inspired Wallonk jersey uh, to go along with it, and giving it out on the night that Hay actually got injured and couldn't play another game for the Orioles? Um, these are the <sighs> kind of jerseys that you know end up at the bottom of our drawers that we pull out when we're mowing our grass, or you know in Jake's case, um, whenever you're going out in public. <laughs> All right. Talking about promotions, I, I don't think there's any way that we can avoid talking about the most obvious, and that's this. Now that Jeff Arnold has been moved from Frederick to Baltimore, now that he's part of a stellar broadcast crew, I think that he would need to bring one of the key promotions he was a part of down in Frederick up to the major league level, and of course I'm talking about Cowboy Monkey Rodeo. You cannot have baseball giveaways without Cowboy Monkey Rodeo. It's just, it's like peanut butter and jelly. These things go together. I completely agree. Um, Jeff Arnold, um, you're on notice. Get Cowboy Monkey Rodeo uh, Rodeo up to, uh, up to Baltimore as soon as possible. So those are some of the 2020 giveaways that the Orioles could have potentially done. Jake, my question is for 2021, if we manage to get back into the stands and if we get to watch Orioles baseball, what are some promotions that you think we might see back in the park this upcoming year? Well, you know, I think the the first one is pretty obvious. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about John Angelos and, you know, how much uh, he he's devoted to civics causes. I think that the Orioles, uh, you know, may consider giving out COVID vaccines uh, before the ball game. They could call, call it the shot heard around the world. I, I like that. I also like a shot in a beer where you get your shots and then you get a beer with it as well. I like this. I like it a lot. And the thing is, though, is that uh, the Orioles are about 90 to 94% sure to disappoint you. So, you know, the uh, the odds are there for you. Absolutely. And again, what would Camden Yards be like without the standard Orioles slash Birdland experience where you'll have guaranteed social distancing throughout the ballpark? You know, true story. When the Orioles started to win again in 2012, I was clearly thrilled, thrilled beyond belief. However, I will say that it was weird to not have a ton of elbow room at the ballpark. I was like, um, excuse me, I'm... 
I'm putting my bag there. Uh, I'm stretching out my legs on the row in front of me. What are all of you say, people this, doing in this, my private suite? This is my section. What, what are you doing in, in my section? Please move to another section if you do, please. Absolutely. Uh, well, next, you know, clearly uh, we talked about T-shirt giveaways for, you know, departed uh, Orioles. But what about the the T-shirts that they could possibly print? What about one that says, I've got the bird flu. Oh, that's topical humor, my friend. That is topical humor, and you know, sure will bring a smile to anybody whose family member has passed away due to COVID nineteen. Okay, perhaps, perhaps a bit in poor taste. But we didn't get to mock and or kind of um, sneer at um, the Astros when they came to town. In fact, they never even got to come to town. They were, you know, basically told stay on the West Coast. Um, but Jake, I think putting together, you know, mini trash cans that could be beaten, um, you know, to basically make noise during the game would be a fun activity uh, for Orioles fans. And again, uh, it's a good way to, you know, collect refuse and or recycling um, in order to support the local economy. Yeah, if we're going to give away cans, I don't think trash is the way to go. I think if we're going to give away cans, what we need to do is give away bullpen gas cans. The gas cans, of course, are a reference to uh, the protester or, you know, any of the oil can uh, uh, relievers. These are things that that the fans in the stands could shake, you know, kind of like we shook keys um, for Chris Ray. I think it could be a signal of, I think you're about to give give away the game. You're about to give up runs in a hurry. So that promotion is going to be sponsored by Kevin Gregg? Absolutely. Okay, I just want to make sure. But yeah, it'd be interesting to find out what kind of promotions would draw you back to the stadium uh, and into the stands. I think we're all eager to see Orioles baseball in person. But what kind of swag are you looking for uh, at Camden Yards when you go back in 2021? Me personally? Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly I'm looking for some sort of apparel, but we've done the Hawaiian shirt. We've done winter hats we've done sweatshirts we've done faux jerseys scotty i would like to get some orioles hosiery Mm. i'm talking faux stirrups black and orange socks i I like it now bb and since i'm gonna be the only one at the park they only really have to you know think about me well there you go so folks hosiery is at the top of jake english's list Let's see what the Orioles decide to pull in for 2021. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Cody of the I Just Like the Duck podcast. What an honor to be included in this year's Betty Awards. This is I Just Like the Duck, a Baltimore Orioles podcast, also found on Twitter. Here to provide the award for why not the Orioles in this year's playoffs? And without further ado, this year's nominees. Mike Elias and the Baltimore Orioles front office for trading away Richard Blyer and the bulk of the Baltimore Orioles bullpen. Next up, Jose Flores and the Baltimore Orioles coaching staff, who not only managed to lose most one-run games, but never quite remembered how many outs the Baltimore Orioles had while on the base pass or whether or not to send them from third to home. Next up, Cole Solson, the Baltimore Orioles closer with an ERA well over five, a win-loss record of one in five, and three blown save appearances. And finally, 
Pedro Severino, the Baltimore Orioles all-star catcher, who hit five home runs and a batting average well over 300 for the first half of the season, while falling off a cliff for the second half, having more strikeouts than base hits. And this year's winner for why aren't the Orioles in the playoffs? Goes to Pedro Severino, who may or may not be with the Baltimore Orioles next year. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nathan Andrews of Full Count Chaos. Hey folks, Nathan here from the podcast Full Count Chaos, and I'm very excited I was invited back on the Bevy Awards to announce the nominees for the best moment of an Orioles player for the 2020 season. This could have been a great play, great streak, one hell of a pitching performance, just basically a moment that made us all say, wow, that was pretty badass. All right, here are the nominees for the best moment of an Orioles player for the 2020 season. DJ Stewart for going 0 for 17, then hitting three home runs for his next three hits, first against Garrett Cole. Now, he ended the season with seven home runs, but that next four games, he hit a home run in each game, bringing up his average to a, uh, I don't know, an average that was still embarrassing. All right, Jose Iglesias for hitting a home run on August 30th and barely limping around the bases. Guy was so hurt he could barely jog from first base to home, but he's still hitting 420-foot bombs. Guy's an animal. John Means on September 20th, 12 strikeouts, zero walks, one earned run against the Tampa Bay Rays, who, by the way, is one game away from going to the World Series as I'm recording this. He recorded 12 strikeouts. Now, those strikeouts were five more than his previous career high. Anthony Santander for only playing 37 games and still hitting 13 doubles, one triple, 11 home runs, 32 RBIs, and had 10 walks, and still led the Orioles in extra base hits and slugging percentage and was tied for the team lead in RBIs to finish out the season. Ryan Mountcastle, August 30th, hitting his first home run and then following up his next at bat with another home run. I think it's going to be many fun years for that kid. Here we go again, Jose Iglesias, August 31st against the Blue Jays. Iglesias made a fantastic play running across the infield to cut the throw off to throw out the runner at the plate for the Orioles to win four to three in the extra innings. Jose Iglesias made Derek Jeter's famous cutoff throw look like amateur hour. That was awesome. And Austin Hayes for hitting an inside the park home run August 11th against Philly during extra innings to give the Orioles a 10 to eight lead. All right, here we go. The moment you've all been waiting for. The winner goes to... John Means! 12 strikeouts, zero walks, one earned run, September 20th against the Tampa Bay Rays. He was so much fun to watch that game. That was not only the best performance by an Orioles pitcher that season, but was definitely one of the top 10 performances this season by all 32 teams. I want to say thanks again to the guys over at Bird's Eye View Podcast for letting me join in on the fun with the 2020 Bevy Awards. Let's all continue to support the Orioles and our fellow Birdland fans while we continue to root for the Orioles through this rebuild, which at times seems like an absolute train wreck, but at the end of the day, we love our Orioles and will continue to root for demos. Till next time, see you. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Scott Magnus of the Bird's Eye View podcast. All right, the next award from Bird's Eye View 
well, we're going to call this the Steve Pierce Award. It goes to a player on the Baltimore Orioles who, not a star on the team, becomes a fan favorite by steady and occasional unbelievable contributions. He goes above and beyond what is to be expected from him. You know, sadly, uh, the 2019 recipient of this word, uh, Stevie Dr. Poo Poo Wilkerson, was, was unable to defend his title um, as injuries derail the season. He may make a reoccurrence in 2021. It looks like the Orioles have re-signed him. Um, but, but we've got a, a plethora of players here to start with. So let's start with our first one, um, which was Cesar Valdez. And I know some of you are thinking, who the heck is Cesar Valdez? But, you know, he came out there and pitched 14 and third innings out of the bullpen for a good 1.26 ERA. He was one of the most consistent bullpen arms after the great trade uh, spree uh, of this young, young season. Um, but Cesar Valdez will beat his mark on the Orioles, and uh, we're going to continue to see if he can come out there and shine, as it were. Um, but for those of us who watched the end of the season, Cesar Valdez was a, a unique hero, as it were, filling the gaps of a, a, a tenable bullpen. Jake, how about you? Who is, uh, who's your nominee for the Steve Pierce Award this year? Well, I think that, you know, I hate to say it, but a... a absolutely good nominee for the steve pierce award has to be dj stewart dj stewart is someone who for a little while despite this making no sense whatsoever hit the cover off the ball he was hitting home runs like nobody's business and when he wasn't hitting home runs he was hitting for other extra base hits the man hit doubles the man hit the ball hard all while you want to talk about occasionally unbelievable contributions. We were ready to call his his career over, and he came storming back and won the hearts of many a fan in Birdland. Jake, the next nominee goes to Andrew Kashner. Now, folks, I, I know what you're going to say. I'm going to stop you right there. Yes, I realize Andrew Kashner was not on the Baltimore Orioles for the 2020 season. But in re- in reality... He still lives in our hearts every single day due to, well, obviously, you know, similar topic we talked about earlier in the season, Kavi Pasta. And it goes as follows. That seals the deal. I am no longer an Orioles fan. I've been a fan since 1982 and a season ticket holder since 1996. I officially will not be renewing my plan next season, nor will I watch on TV ever again. Elias is officially the worst GM in history, which propagated out a a multitude of Kavi Pasta out there into the Internet onto Twitter uh, that proliferated out in 2020 in terms of responding to uh, the various incarnations and and events that happened in this given year of 2020. So Andrew Kasher in reality is an unsung star without him. We wouldn't have this meme um, existing in this world that be used by, you know, certain um, individuals that we'll just call them proud uh, is probably the best way I can go about it. Who boy. Who's next on your list, Scotty? Well, my last one's going to have to go to, again, a, not, a player that's not on the Baltimore Orioles, but we consider him to be uh, a steady uh, and occasional heart of the team. And, of course, that's Adam Jones. And as much as we focused on uh, the Baltimore Orioles for 2020, we at the same time were focused on Adam Jones and how well he was doing in 2020 uh, in, in Japan. And let me tell you, it wasn't great. Um, but folks were absolutely convinced that Adam Jones deserved a spot on this team, deserved a spot on the roster, deserved to be starting out there in center field, regardless of whether this team was rebuilding or not. So 
Adam Jones certainly has that unbelievable contribution of always being in the back of people's mind that they just can't get over the past. So Jake, uh, those are our nominees for the 2020 Steve Pierce Award. And uh, the award is going to go to, one second, let me go ahead and uh, open up this envelope. Oh, it goes to Cesar Valdez. So uh, it looks like we're going to have Cesar Valdez going into 2021 as a champion. We'll see if Dr. Poo can overtake Cesar Valdez for that award of the Steve Pierce Award. And now join Jake and Scott for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, it's interesting. We do this segment uh, segment every week uh, on the show, and we have a very small window, a small sample size to work with. It's a snapshot look. And occasionally, during the bevies, we'll do a good and bad and the ugly that has a a bit more of a, a grander sweep. This year, we're taking a look at the good and the bad and the ugly of an entire season but we have fewer games to work with than we would for even a standard mid-season awards show. So, Scott, do we have enough of a sample size? Was 60 games enough to separate the wheat from the chat, the chaff to let us know who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly? No, but we're still going to put out names anyway. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to start first, and uh, we do that mostly so Scott can rant last at the end because he's better at it. My good is going to go to Jose Iglesias. And even though Jose Iglesias didn't have a full healthy season, he had a good one. He played great defense. He had a 160 weighted runs created plus with a 400 on base percentage. And this is exactly the type of player that the Orioles are going to need. In fact, I didn't want to waste this, so I didn't put him in my uh, ghost of Orioles present. But this is a good, cheap player who the Orioles got under club control for more than one year while the young baby birds were developing. This was a good season for a good player for the Orioles. My good is going to go to, you know, someone like Jose Iglesias and someone like Anthony Santander that had a great season, but it's going to go again to someone going forward to the future. We talked about this was a throwaway season. We came into this knowing that this season wasn't going to amount to anything. It was going to either be an asterisk or, again, the Orioles were just going to go out there and put it, put nothing out there. Um, but I think we are starting to get to that point, like we've talked about, where we're looking forward to the future. And I think we talked about John Means, but Ryan Mountcastle and a very small sample size of 35 games really showed that the bat can play at the major league level, posting a 333 average, a 386 on-base percentage, a 139 weighted runs created plus, and five home runs and 140 plate appearances. Yes, I could have gone with Anthony Santander as well, who posted very similar numbers offensively as well. But Ryan Mountcastle really cemented himself of saying, this is an individual that I want to see more of going forward in 2021 and certainly has a role going forward with the future Orioles and the future Birds uh, in, in when, when they're in the contention. Absolutely. Great candidates all around. All right, my bad for the year is going to go to Dwight Smith Jr. And Dwight Smith Jr. proved that he really wasn't anything special, that he doesn't have the skill set to be a fourth outfielder and therefore have value on a roster and doesn't have the talent to keep himself on a team that at one point was desperate for outfielders. He had a 79 weighted runs created plus 
and just a 306 on base percentage with a 26.4 K percentage. Looking around the roster, a lot of Orioles did okay or did well offensively and even defensively. Dwight Smith was not on that list. He was bad. Yeah, speaking of bad seasons, Hunter Harvey did not have a great season. We all know that he had suffering of injuries at the very beginning of the season, which prompted him to not come into the season at full strength. Um, but again, finishing the season with a 4.15 ERA, a 5.85 FIP in eight and two-thirds innings, it really felt like another lost season for Hunter Harvey. And again, a career that has been stagnated by a bunch of these injuries. I was really hoping to see more of Hunter Harvey and that lovely mullet. Um, and we're left questioning now, where is Hunter Harvey's role going forward with the future Baltimore Orioles? You know, you mentioned the hair. And for my ugly, I'm going to stick with hair. My ugly is going to go to Asher Wojciechowski. Now, Awaj was not expected to be a great pitcher. But Awaj came into the season with one of the slots in the rotation locked up. It was his job to lose. And the question was, could Asher Wojciechowski be a pitcher at the major league level? Could he be a fifth starter? Could he be a fourth starter? Could he be somebody that could pitch on any club? And the answer to that question was no. Again, I don't know how you get DFA'd on a team like the 2020 Baltimore Orioles, but he found a way. Asher Wojciechowski had every opportunity to prove to the league if not to all of us, that he was worth taking a flyer on for all of the other 29 clubs. And he failed that. Uh, I look at Asher Wojciechowski as a guy who, you know, could have been a serviceable player. And he he failed at that. And so I, I will call his season ugly. Jake, my ugly for the season goes to the death of minor league baseball. We are starting to see it on a daily basis now where minor league baseball teams are being picked apart by Major League Baseball ownership and being subsumed into the giant subsidiary that is Major League Baseball. We're starting to lose that touch of independent baseball. We're going to lose several cities and towns that, once again, minor league league baseball is the only subset of baseball within a two to three hours distance. We're very privileged here in the Baltimore area to have exposure to a variety of minor league clubs. But even within the Baltimore metropolitan area, more more than likely going to suffer more than likely with the loss of either Frederick and or Aberdeen. But when we look in Midwest towns, where those Midwest towns are truly defined by the aspect of a minor league baseball stadium being present within within the within the town limits, we are going to see a significant loss in the love of baseball. And no longer can we say, is this heaven when we enter into those Midwest towns? Instead, we will say, what was this town and what did it used to be? And what kind of magic could be heard late at night while the lights beam down on the field and you could hear a subtle roar rocking down the street of Main Street? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I really worry about the growth of the game of baseball with so many baseball dead zones that are going to exist across this country. I, I will say, um, and I, I'm not looking forward to this in any way, shape, or form, I wonder if the slow 
death of minor league baseball will lead to a different following, a different view of college baseball. Not tomorrow, not anytime soon, but I wonder if, you know, Major League Baseball won't realize that it is more cost effective to shift the cost of developing their players to college athletics. And if we won't see a relationship like football and basketball has with uh, the, the major uh, conferences in, in college. Do you think that that's an even possible thing? Or do you think there's too much money to be made in minor league baseball for MLB to get out of that business? It's all about the Benjamins, baby. All right. All right. So there it is. Those are our good, our bad, and our ugly for the 2020 season. Here again are Scott Magnus and Jake English. Well, listeners, you've reached the end of yet another Bevy Awards program. As always, we'd like to thank, well, you. This project simply wouldn't work without you. We're humbled and appreciative that so many of you spend an hour a week with us celebrating or commiserating over the Baltimore Orioles. And thanks to those of you who have reached out to us over the years. Goes good and but negative. Um, we've met so many amazing people through this podcast, and now more than ever, this in this community, we need to be together. So don't be a stranger. It is going to be a long and dark winter. Please, if you want to talk about Orioles baseball or you just need someone to talk to, reach out to me and Jake uh, on Twitter. We'd be glad to have a conversation about baseball and just let you know that you've got a friend here to talk. We'd like to take a moment to thank our wives, the Baseball Widows, Sarah and Carrie, who were tolerant and indulgent of this whole podcast thing. You know, sure, maybe they they knew what they were getting into themselves when they, you know, married us, but they're still nicer about it than they have to be. Although I'm still a little annoyed that they don't listen to the podcast and instead just wax poetically about the Baltimore runs. I would too. Thank you to the many people who make Bird's Eye View possible. Our logo is the work of the phenomenal guys over at OBP Apparel. Our theme song, Watching the Orioles, is by Songs from the Moon. The interstitial music you hear each week is No Robots by Black Dog Prowl and Mania by The Last Year. And as always, we want to extend a special thanks to the voice of the bevies, Jovial J. Shepard. Thanks again for listening to the 8th Annual Bevy Awards. And with that, Baltimore and Beyond, I will bid you all a fond... Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Mask up. And let's go O's. Thank you for listening to the 8th Annual Bevy Awards. For more lack of insight and baseless opinion, subscribe to the Bird's Eye View podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. New episodes drop weekly during the season and monthly in the off-season. Get social with Bird's Eye View on Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram, but the best place to get a hold of them is on Twitter, where they tweet at Bird's Eye View Ball. That's Bird's Eye View B-A-L.
Thanks again for listening. This has been your announcer, Jovial J. You can check out my podcasts with Jedi Schwa, which are part of the superhero suite of shows, including our flagship show, Superhero Suite, and Scarlet Velocity of Flash podcast, available at RetroZap.com. We also have great discussions on Techno Retro Dads, talking about all of your retro favorites and how we revisit them today. And you can even get more from me each month on Jedi Journals, the longest-running Star Wars literature podcast in the galaxy at ForceCast.net. Also check out my posts at RetroZap.com called MCU Location Scout and Sci-Fi Saturdays. Thank you. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.